Well, good morning. This morning, we turn our attention to Psalm 8 as we continue in our summer in the Psalms. If you're just joining us this morning, visiting with us, we are preaching and going through the book of Psalms every summer. And so today we get to Psalm 8. And having spent many weeks oriented in the direction of lament, today we are oriented in the direction of praise. There's nothing sad about today's psalm. I know you're disappointed. (laughs) There's no lament. There's no imprecation. David isn't calling down God's righteous vengeance upon his enemies in this psalm. As far as we can tell, no one is seeking to destroy the psalmist's life, which is always a good thing, I have found. David is out for a walk one night, and he looks up, and he praises God. I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 8, this wonderful psalm of David, which has the title right at the top, How Majestic Is Your Name? And we're reminded in the instructions here in the title that this psalm has been near and dear to the lips and the hearts of God's people for centuries. It was sung by God's people. It says, to the choir master. Then the instruction goes on, according to the gittith, which was either an ancient instrument that went by that name. There was an instrument called a gittith, possibly. I've never played a gittith. Or it was an ancient melody called gittith that they sang these words to. So this psalm has been central to the worship of God's people all the way from when David wrote it and continuing to today. And what a gift this psalm is to us because it teaches us in just nine verses something incredibly profound and something we ought never to forget, which is this. Nothing makes sense apart from God. Nothing makes sense apart from God. Nothing about God Nothing about the world, nothing about mankind. None of it makes any sense apart from God. What we need is perspective on all these things. Perspective given to us from outside of us or else we're blind or else we're ignorant or else we're arrogant or maybe all of the above. Nothing makes sense apart from God. And that's why this psalm is such a gift to us. There is no such thing for us as divine realization. Just figuring things out on our own. Human beings cannot on their own attain divine realization of divine truth. Again, truth about God or about the world or about mankind. There is no hope to be found in that quest, in that quest of divine realization. But there is a lot of hope in divine revelation. And so that's why human beings are drawn in towards God. That's why human beings, mankind, is drawn up by God, by his grace, 
because he gives us revelation of himself and of his truth and of his ways by grace, and we should be glad about that. We can't gain perspective on God or on ourselves or on this whole world from ourselves. We can only gain God's perspective when we're given God's perspective. It's gained as a gift. And the only way we can gain this gift is by giving God praise. And so God draws us to praise him. God calls us to praise him. God creates a whole world that declares the majesty of his name that we would praise him so that as we praise him, he can give us perspective. David is out for a walk one night and he gives God praise and God gives him perspective. Let's consider first praise. We've waited long enough to finally get to praise in the Psalms, so let's... (laughs) Let's explore praise for a few verses. Verses 1 and 2, look with me. David declares, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Sometimes we sing a song here at Truro. You probably know it by heart, many of you. It says, for all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. There are at least 10,000 reasons to praise God. But for the sake of time, how about we explore three today? (laughs) Or else you might have wanted to pack your lunch So reason number one, we see three reasons just in these first two verses, three reasons for praise. And the first is that the majesty of the name of the Lord fills the earth. The psalm begins and ends with the same proclamation of praise. It's bracketed with that same proclamation. And David praises God by name. First, a personal address, oh, Lord. That's what you say to someone you know personally, oh, Lord. You don't walk up to your mechanic and say, oh, mechanic. (laughs) Maybe you do. I don't. It's a personal address, oh, Lord. And then a corporate address, our Lord. Say those first four words with me, oh, Lord, our Lord. That's praise. Personal, Lord, corporate, Lord. He praises God by name. In Hebrew here, it's Yahweh. This is who the Lord is. We call him, O Lord, our Lord, because it's who he is. It is his name because it's who he is. It's his revelation of himself. We do not call him Lord because he has given us just a a name to call him, like my name is Jamie. God's name is who he is, his revelation of himself. I am not my name. You are not your name. We, We are given names. God is his name. We praise 
his name. When we, pray, when we sing that song, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, we're praising who he is. He is his name. You and I are given attributes, things that describe us, how we act, what we look like, how we behave. God is not given attributes. God is his attributes. In this verse, the, how majestic is your name. God is majesty. God is glory. He is wonder. He is love. He is righteousness. These are not attributes about God. They're not adjectives describing God. They are God. So David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David then can look at the earth. He can look at the trees and the leaves and the sky and a waterfall or a worm. And the earth serves as one giant call to worship. David doesn't worship the earth. David doesn't worship creation. David is called by creation to worship God because he knows that the majesty of the name of the Lord fills the earth. That's reason number one. 9,999 to go. Here's reason two that we see here, that the glory of the Lord is above the heavens. So David says here in verse one, you have set your glory, where? Above the heavens. The New Living Translation puts it, your glory is higher than the heavens. For David, the heavens, the sky itself, looking at the stars in the sky, the heavens are a revelation of the glory of God because as high as they are, I know this sounds simple, but David understands it. As high as the heavens are, as vast as the universe is, God's glory is higher. God's glory is more. It's no problem for David to praise God because he's got some sense of the glory of God. It's the glory of God that calls David to praise. Sometimes if it's a problem for us to worship God, it might be because we've lost sight of the wonderful glory of God. Who wants to praise a small God? Who wants to lift their hands and sing and shout, and play the organ or play the drums for a small God? No one. I'll stay in bed for a small God, thank you very much. But a glorious God, a God whose glory is above the heavens, a God whose majesty fills the earth, now that's a God that calls me to worship. Now we're talking. Now I've got reasons to praise. Now I'm going to lift my voice and sing. It doesn't matter what song we sing. It doesn't matter if I like the song or I don't like the song. It doesn't matter whether I can sing or whether I can't sing. It doesn't matter whether I think I can sing, but I really actually can't sing. I've got a reason to praise. You've got reasons to praise. You might be the kind of singer people wish would sing a solo. Solo, they can't hear it. You might be the kind of singer people wish would sing by the window so they can help you out. 
You might be a prison singer. You never have the key, and you're behind a few bars. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Who cares? Turn to your neighbor and say, who cares? Who cares? I got reasons to praise. Reason number one, the majesty of the name of the Lord fills the earth. Reason number two, his glory is set above the heavens. He draws me to worship him. And here's reason three, the power of the Lord is revealed in humility. David sees it. It's a very interesting verse here, verse two. Let me read it again. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Babies and infants, enemy and avenger. It's a bit of a blurring of the line here between praise and perspective for David. He's, on the one hand, praising a God who reveals his power in humility. And on the other hand, he's gaining perspective about how God's power is displayed upside down. David praises a God who here establishes strength, meaning a God who reveals his power, a God who asserts his rule in humility. So babies and infants, the mouth of babies and infants here represents for us humility. And then the foe, the enemy and the avenger represent arrogance. Arrogance silenced by humility. Our God who is more glorious than the heavens is a God who vanquishes his foes through humility. God doesn't meet arrogance with arrogance. God meets arrogance, rebellion, evil with humility. He comes into the world how? As a baby in a manger. He rides into Jerusalem, all right, on what? A donkey. He destroys death, all right, once for all. How? By dying. Reason for praise number three, the power of the Lord is revealed in humility. Arrogance and pride and puffed up power have no place in the heart of a person of praise. David looks up, David is drawn to praise. And as he gives God praise, God gives David perspective. Verses 3 through 8 give us true perspective, but let's look first at verses 3 and 4. David says to God, when I look at your heavens, I love that, <laughs> your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the son of man that you care for him. Notice this with me right here, because some, sometimes the most obvious observations about scripture are the ones we skip past. David doesn't look at God as if he's equal with God. There's a recognition here. I know this sounds basic. There's a recognition here for David that God is God and David is not. And the logic for David goes like this. God, 
When I look at the heavens, they are very big to me. God, when you look at the heavens, they are very small to you. Therefore, God is God, and I am not. That's how he comes to God. I love how one commentator by the name of Peter Craigie put it in his reflection on these verses. He said that for God, quote, the heavens are tiny, pushed and prodded into shape by the divine digits. I love that phrase, the divine digits. That the heavens, the galaxies, the planets, the moon, the stars, all of it is just pushed and prodded into place by God's fingers, his divine digits. David doesn't say, I look at your heavens, the work of your arms, the work of your might, the work of your power. Now, of course it is, but David says, the work of your fingers. In God's holy revelation, God reveals the vastness of heaven as the work of <laughs> his fingertips. Praise God. So David doesn't look at God as if he's equal with God. He recognizes God is God and I am not. And what that leads David to then is a posture to receive the, what I'll call perspective of praise. And the first lens in that perspective, we'll look at three briefly. The first lens of the perspective of praise is who am I? Who am I? Verse four, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? David has the same reaction that you and I would have if we were to gaze at the Grand Canyon or if we were to look up in the night sky and see it filled with stars. Our reaction, seeing such beauty and grandeur, would not be to say, whoa, I am a pretty big deal. Wow, look at that Grand Canyon. I am hot stuff. No, our reaction is to look at beauty and grandeur and say, who am I? And that's David's reaction here. God puts David in his place. God wants to put you in your place. God wants to put me in my place. Do you come to God as if you're equal with God or do you come to God as if he is God? Here's the starting place. Here's the first lens of the perspective of praise. Who am I? Because the next step, the very next lens in this perspective of praise is that God tells me who I am. He tells me who I am. Verses five through eight. Yet you have made him, mankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Again, we see him here. You can read describing mankind. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. God says something amazing to mankind. 
He says, you small creatures, you feeble people that I made from the dust, you're asking me who you are? You want to know who you are, you feeble-framed people of the dust? You are precious. God says, you are made in my image. God says, you are crowned with glory and honor, and you are given dominion over creation. So the question, who am I, asked in response to glory, is answered with divine revelation of grace, who I am. I am a precious creation of God the creator. And he has chosen for some reason in Christ to crown me with glory and honor. And God has chosen, again, for some reason, me and you in Christ to use us in his sovereign purposes of putting all things under his feet. Now, I think we get in trouble sometimes, and we get dysfunctional sometimes, and we get arrogant sometimes when we reverse the order of these two lenses. Here's what I mean. If we reverse the order, then we come to God first by saying, here's who I am. Here are my rights, God. Here's my autonomy, God. Here's my identity, God. Now, what do you have to say, God, about who I have told you I am? Aren't you impressed, God? Don't mess with me, God. I've told you who I am, God. We can't come to God that way. We can't come to God first by saying, God, here's who I am. We come to God first by saying, God, tell me who I am. This is why God calls us first to praise. Look at God. Behold the majesty of his name that fills the earth and is above the heavens. And when we praise him, he gives us perspective in this order. First, who am I? Second, who I am. This is why for this church, our first two pillars are the word and worship. Because before we can even start to think about community, drawing people into this church, before we can even start to think about outreach, we have to make sure we know that we know who God is, who God has said that he is, that we are exalting God. We are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because before we can ever answer the question of a world that has no idea who it is, Before we can tell that world who it is, we have to first tell that world who God is. Lens number one, who am I? Lens number two, who I am. God makes it all make sense for us now. He makes it all click, come together in the final lens, in the perspective of praise of whose I am. Whose I am. David could rightfully pray this prayer, and he did. He could rightfully pray this prayer as true about God and true about him. God had made David a little lower than the angels. God had crowned David with glory and honor and given him 
dominion. And even since David, the people of God have been able to rightfully pray and sing this psalm as true about God and true about us. But Jesus took this psalm even further than that. Because Jesus not only prayed this psalm as true about him, Jesus fulfilled this psalm. This psalm, just like all the others, all the other 149 of them, this psalm points us to Jesus. And the writer of the book of Hebrews understood that. In Hebrews 2, starting in verse 7, the writer of the book of Hebrews begins to apply this psalm to Jesus. He says, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor and given dominion. But then the writer of Hebrews points out something obvious. And it's something that we all see obviously around us as we try to make sense of things. Hebrews 2, verse 8, Captain Obvious here. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now that rings true, doesn't it? At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Jesus. You go back to work tomorrow, kids, students, teachers, you go back to school on August 21st or so, you turn on the news tonight, or second thought, maybe don't turn on the news tonight, you'll see this. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Jesus. But here comes the perspective of praise. Here comes real reality. Here comes God making sense of everything in Christ. But we see who? Him. We see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Okay, let's follow that thought for a moment then. Let it lead us to praise. Let it give us perspective. Because Jesus tasted death all right. Jesus tasted death, but he spit it back out again. And because of that, Paul tells us what Jesus is doing now. Because he spit it out. Recall 1 Corinthians 15. 25 and on, Jesus is reigning until he has put all enemies under his feet. Now verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For, let's quote Psalm 8 now, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Full circle. Psalm 8 is a circle completed in Christ. So for you, believer, this psalm tells you whose you are. And in Christ, you belong to the one who was crowned with the highest glory and honor. And in Christ, you belong to the one who has been given dominion, not just over creation. In Christ, you belong to the one who's also been given dominion over death. This psalm has been fulfilled in Christ, is being fulfilled in Christ, and will be fulfilled in Christ. So Psalm 8 ends with praise. O Lord, our Lord, 
How majestic is your name in all the earth. So friends, I encourage you, I encourage myself, ask the question of your majestic Lord, who am I? And he'll tell you who you are. And it'll sound something like this. You're so precious to him that he spared not his own son for you. And he'll tell you whose you are. You belong to Jesus. And don't miss the invitation of this song. And walk around searching for divine realization somehow. Walking around ignorant or blind or arrogant even. Know that you have been given 10,000 reasons to Praise God. Know that God longs to reveal to you his perspective. Yes, God wants to put us in our place. He does. But he longs to lift us up as well. And he longs to point us to and hide us in the one who is not only the fulfillment of this psalm, but also the one who is the fulfillment of our souls. Nothing makes sense apart from God. And God has chosen to make it all make sense in the one who holds it all together, Jesus. And who are we, us feeble and frail people? We are his. We are his. And that's reason enough to praise him forever. Why don't we stand together and pray? Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. See the stars? I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe dispersed. Lift our voices loud and strong, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to sings, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How